1: Turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. And if you've been here, you remember the message of Matthew is to present Jesus as King. Remember, Matthew, get your pen and your pad out. You're going to be taking some notes. Remember that Matthew is a Jew writing to the Jews about the King of the Jews. Now, we talked about chapter 1. Matthew starts out with the heritage of the king there in chapter 1. He, Jesus, was of the royal lineage and line of David, and he has a right to the throne. Well, not not only the heritage of the king, but in chapter 2, we see homage being paid to the king. As wise men came, you know, and they bought him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And even with these gifts, the Christmas story, I love the Christmas story there in chapter 2. Who doesn't love the Christmas story? And they bring him these gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And in presenting him these gifts, they are proclaiming him as king. Paying homage to the king there in chapter 2. But also in chapter 2, we see hostility toward the king. As Herod became hostile because others were proclaiming Jesus as king. And let's just face it, any powerful, impacting individual is always going to stir up some hostility among people. And we see that there in chapter 2. And also, in chapter 2, how can we forget the humility of the king? We've got the heritage of the king, paying homage to the king, hostility toward the king, and the humility of the king. Remember, he was born and in Bethlehem, and he was raised in the city of Nazareth. Remember Nathaniel? He said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Well, of course. Jesus came out of Nazareth. The Messiah came out of Nazareth. Nathaniel, yes, something good can come out of Nazareth. But we see humility because Nazareth was a dirty little, nasty little, humble little city. And Jesus came from that city. So the heritage, the homage, the hostility, and the humility of the king. Chapter 3, we're going to see the heralding of the king. As we meet John the Baptist, heretofore, you like that word, heretofore, huh? Heretofore, known as, and we'll refer to him as, John the B., John the Baptist, and he comes heralding a message that wasn't very popular. He comes heralding a message of repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. That's what we're going to talk about. Now listen, we've all seen movies that go from one period of time to another. And at the bottom of the screen, you'll usually see, they'll put at the bottom of the screen, they'll tell you how long that period of time was. Well, here in the Gospel of Matthew, we go from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and at the bottom of the screen, you would see 400 years. From the Old Testament book of Malachi, (laughs) if you're Italian, it's Malachi. Malachi, okay, fine. From the Old Testament book of Malachi, To the New Testament book of Matthew, there's 400 year period in that space. We call that the silent years. Was it silent because God's people weren't talking to each other? No, it was silent because God wasn't talking to people through the prophets. God had nothing to say for 400 years. Now, between chapters 2 and And three, we have at the bottom of the screen, it would say 30 years later. Between chapters two and three, there's a period of time of 30 years. So Matthew abruptly goes from chapter two, verse 23, to 30 years later Chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to talk about the person of John the Baptist. And here is an eight-point outline. You guys know I like outlines. Here's an eight-point outline. John the Baptist, if you're taking notes, you know I encourage you to do so. Number one, John the Baptist or John the B, he challenged the people to repent. You'll find that in verse 2. And then John the B, he came and cried As a voice in the wilderness. He cried as a voice in the wilderness. We will find that in verse 3. And then John the Bee committed himself to a humble life in verse 4. And then he called for public confession in verses 5 through 6. And then he confronted the religious folks, religious leaders, In verses 7 through 10. And then he contrasted his ministry with the Messiah. I love that. He contrasted his ministry with the Messiah and the purpose of his baptism in verses 11 through 15. And then we'll talk about the coming of the Holy Spirit. John talks about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, the confirmation of the Father. Verse 16 through 17. So we have John the B who challenged the people to repent. He cried as a voice in the wilderness. He committed himself to a humble life in verse 4. Called for public confession, verse 5 and 6. Confronted the religious leaders in verse 7 through 10. Contrasted his ministry with the Messiah And the purpose of his baptism, verses 11 through 15, we'll talk about the coming of the Holy Spirit and the confirmation of the Father in verse 16 and 17. There is our outline. That's what we're going to be talking about. And so what I'd like to do is read chapter 3. We'll read the whole chapter and then we'll come back and we'll just kind of take chunks of this outline out um, as we move along. So, Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Saints, if you're there, let me hear you say amen. amen. In those days, verse 1, underline that. Very important. You could, look, you could actually overlook that if you weren't careful. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, repent, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He who? He, John the Baptist, who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and his food was locust and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he he said to them, Brood of vipers. I like John, just a straightforward guy. Just like right in there, John. You snakes. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And don't think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Sounds like John chapter 15, doesn't it? I indeed baptize you with water in verse 11 unto repentance. But he... Christ, the Messiah, Yeshua, who is coming after me, is mightier, mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to even carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his weed into the barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him, and John tried to prevent him, saying, "I need to be baptized by you, Jesus, and are you coming to me?" John is perplexed." But Jesus answered and said to him, "Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfil all righteousness that he then he allowed him. or when he had been baptized in verse sixteen, Jesus came up immediately out of the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and resting upon Jesus. And suddenly in verse 17, a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Or, This is my beloved Son, listen to him. That's what it means. Listen to him. Now, I had you underline, in those days. In what days? Well, if you just read Matthew's account, you would never know what the days were. You would never know what period of time it was. And so it's necessary to put together Luke chapter 3 here with Matthew chapter 3 so that we can determine what were those days. What was the period of time like? We find it in Luke chapter 3 and verse 1. It says, Now, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being a governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip tetrarch of Eturia, and the reign of Taconitus and Lysanius, tetrarch of Abilene, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of the Lord came to John, the son of Zacharias. In the wilderness. In what days? In the days of the Roman occupation. In the days of the Roman occupation, Tiberius Caesar ruled. Pontius Pilate became the governor of Judea. Herod Antipas ruled in Galilee from the city of Tiberias. Herod's brother ruled the territory east of the Jordan River. Licinius ruled in the territory northwest of Damascus in a place called. Abilene. And it was in these days that things weren't quiet in Israel. There was a lot of things going on and a lot of revolts happening in Israel and in Jerusalem. And it was a very, very violent period. A lot of upheaval in those days. A lot of murder and killing in those days. There was a sect of the Jews called the Zealots. Z-E-A-L-O-T-S. A sect of the Jews called the Zealots. And these guys believed, essentially, might makes right. And the end justifies the means. And so let's just kill people and overthrow the government, and set up the kingdom of God for the Messiah. This is essentially what the zealots believed and what their agenda was. Now, it's sad but true, listen, there is a softer side of this same teaching in the church today. It's known as dominion theology. Maybe you've heard of it. I hope you haven't. Because it's not good. But what this teaching, Dominion Theology teaches, is that we as Christians are going to have to take over the earth by force. And when we take over the earth, then the kingdom will come and Jesus will reign. So we have got to buck up as Christians... Take over the earth, and when we take control, take back what we lost to Satan in the garden, then Jesus will come, and his kingdom will reign. This is what they teach. Listen, that is false teaching. That's just not right. That's not what the Bible says. And not only that, but I'm so glad that God isn't waiting for me to do something before he does something. Remember, great is thy faithfulness. God is faithful even when we are not. And if God were, what, is God in heaven going, okay, people, come on. Come on now, I'm waiting for you to take over the land, and when you do, then I'm going to come back. That's not God. God is God. And, and And God will come when he is ready. And not a minute before. And not a minute later. And he's not, wor- he's not waiting for us to take over. Now, now, don't misunderstand me. Do we need to be responsible Christians? Yes. Do we need to preach the gospel? Yes. Do we need to tell people to repent and turn from their sins? Yes. Do we need to be salt and light in a world that so desperately needs salt and light? Yes. Do we have responsibility? Absolutely. In the earth, Absolutely. But does that mean that because if we don't do what we're going to do, then God won't come? No. God is on a whole separate timetable than we are. God's on a whole different calendar. And and he's going to come and he knows the day in which he's going to come. Yes, we need to be responsible. Yes, we need to be faithful to what God's called us to do. But God is not waiting for us Christians to buck up and take over the land before he will come back. And when the king does come back and the kingdom is established, then there will be peace on earth. And not before. And not before. And so even in dark days... Even in difficult times, God always has a remnant. A man who has a heart after him and so it was in those dark days. That John the Baptist comes on the scene and his message is a message of repentance. Now, before we get into our outline, let me just tell you a little bit about John the B. You might remember when Zachariah, his dad, was on duty in the temple, God broke that 400-year silence through revelation, as God spoke to Zacharias and Zacharias heard that he was going to have a boy and his name was going to be John. The name John means God is gracious. If you are here and you have the name John, you know those little, those little name cards you find in the supermarket or whatever. You go peel through, where's my name, where's Rodney? Got to find out what it means, you know. You know, if your name is John, your name means God is gracious. That's a great name. And John the Baptist, as you know, I think you know, is not his first, middle, and last name. You, you knew that, didn't you? <laughs> Say amen if you knew that. Okay, thank you, Lord. We're halfway there. All right. It's not his first, middle, and last name. John is his name. The Baptist describes his ministry. John baptizes. He, not, not, and that's not his denominational affiliation either. All right, I can see what you're thinking. No, it isn't. The ministry of John began about six months before Jesus began his ministry. John had taken a Nazarite vow for life, which means his life was dedicated to the service of God. He never cut his hair and he never drank alcohol. And apparently sometime during his youth, he left home to live in the wilderness, forsaking all comforts and forsaking all the entrapments of civilized life in order to have his heart fully and completely focused and connected to God, to seek to know God and to serve God. And God obviously appreciated it. And God honored it because it was Jesus himself who said in John, or pardon me, Luke chapter 7, verse 28, Jesus said, For I say to you, among those born of women, there is none greater than John the Baptist. And that's awesome. There, and there's no person, that be you and that would be me. There's none greater than John the Baptist. Jesus said that. He was greater than Noah, greater than Abraham, greater than Elijah, greater than David, and greater than Daniel. Now, keep in mind, the nation of Israel had not heard from a prophet in 400 years, and now John the B shows up out of nowhere with a message to challenge the people, number one, to Repent. Now, as large crowds from all over the country, all parts of the country came to see and hear him, John begins to preach this message of repentance, a message that we don't hear very often in the church today. Isn't that sad? We we hear a lot about prosperity. We hear a lot about faith. We hear a lot about what God is going to do for you. We hear a lot about, we'll talk about it in just a minute, but the fire of God. We need the fire and the passion of God in our lives as believers. We hear all these kinds of really good feel good type sermons that make us feel good when we leave. But how often, when is the last time you heard a sermon like John the Bee would preach, repent? People. Pastors, pulpit, church, repent. When's the last time you heard a message like that? Not very often. Probably can't remember. We need to be careful and mindful to understand and to know that a part of the gospel message is this thing called repentance. Repentance. Different than penance. Penance. Now, you guys know I have a background of... um, I went to parochial school. And that's an old word. Some of y'all are like, what? What are you talking about? Parochial school. If you know what I'm talking about, you know I'm talking about Catholic school. And we used to call it parochial school. wear the uniforms and the whole nine yards. The uniforms are kind of cool. But, you know, the whole nine. The Uniforms are cool. It saved my mom a lot of money because didn't have to have all these clothes every day. Okay, fine. Um, and so we went to parochial school. On Wednesday, I'll never forget. They would align us all up, take us out of the classroom. I don't know, about 9 or 10-ish in the morning. And some of you guys, if you went to parochial school, Catholic school, you remember this. Take you out of the class and take you to Mass. And before Mass, they would have a time of confession. Confession is when you would go before a priest and you would ask for forgiveness of sins. You'd walk in and maybe to the right or to the left, you'd see a booth or actually it would be three booths kind of joined together. And in the center of this booth was, you know, the father, the priest. And on either side were people who come to repent and to ask for forgiveness of their sins. And so you would go there and they would open the door and it was this dark booth. Traumatized me for life. And this is traumatic for a kid. And you—they open the door, and it was like, you know, creepy, man. It was like, you know, eek, 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 eek. Eek. and it, come on in, you know. And you go in, and you you get on your knees, and you're just waiting in the dark, and waiting for the father to come. And there's a screen that separates you and the and the father. And then all of a sudden, boom! The, screen, the door with back. Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. How long has it been since you last confessed, my son? Well, Father, I confess every day because I'm really bad. And all right. What have you done, my child? Well, Father, do you have time? Yeah. Well, yes, my child. And, you know, I tell him all the things I've done. I lied. I cheated. I cheated on a test. I did all of these things. And he'd say, well, this is what you do for Penance, you would go out and go to the altar and say, Three our fathers and four Hail Marys and and light candles and and, and penance for your sins. Now, for me, you know, it was say, Three our fathers, 60 Hail Marys and light 400 candles. I was always the last one there. And I'm, oh, forgive forgive me, 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 forgive me. And I was supposed to be sorry for my sins, but apparently I really wasn't sorry for my sins because I would go back and do it again. So that was penance. John is not preaching a message of penance. And the Bible doesn't preach a message of penance in and of itself, but of repentance. That is different. What is repentance? Well, if you're taking notes, write this down. Repentance simply means to change your mind, turn around, and go the other way. In other words, you're heading away from God. Now turn around and go the other way. It could mean to do a 180, not a 360. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Because you just turn around and keep going the same way you've been going. That's a problem. But what you want to do is you're going away from God. Now you want to turn around 180, go the other way, and begin to go and serve God. The word repentance literally means to have a change of mind, which will bring you to a change of heart, which will bring you to a change of action. You see, if you truly repent, you're going to have a change of heart, and you're going to have a change of conduct.